Hey, this is Carrie from Wrap Your Head Around Silks. This is the Expecting Aerialist Podcast, now part of the Digitant family of podcasts. Hope you're doing well, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, if you go to the show notes, there's a lot of exciting things happening with Wrap Your Head Around Silks, the online um, resource for you guys. And I'm super excited for Black Friday because I'm doing a flash sale for the complete comprehensive beginner to intermediate course the first course that i put out um for two days only i have never done this but i'm slashing the price a hundred dollars off for the full thing which is basically my entire curriculum just friday and saturday for email subscribers only so check the link and you can um you can sign up there i'm doing live 60 minute ball foam rolling classes uh currently the live time is 7 p.m pacific time we do an hour of rolling uh and we really focus on the aerial problems so uh, the shoulder blades the lats the lateral hip a lot of that focus and um it's helping me out i i honestly wouldn't do a whole hour of rolling probably if I wasn't teaching the class and it really helps me too. So for the ladies and gents who are already there, I love seeing you every week and then hopefully more of you guys join in on the fun. Also, if you are interested in aerial rehab, which is uh, meant to be the bridge between PT and the air, check that out there. Today we have Dr. Sarah Duval of Core Exercise Solutions. She is a physical therapist. And uh, today we focus on women's health, the pelvic floor and diastasis recti, her approaches. Uh, she talks about intradominal pressure and how that really can affect um, us when we're doing our inversions, what general exercise we should be looking at when we become pregnant, signs of pelvic floor tension, and how pelvic floor tension, diastasis recti can can uh, tie together. And so interesting to me how stress and cortisol levels can affect belly fat and muscle building. So such a wealth of knowledge. Uh, I learned so much from Dr. Sarah today. Can't wait for you guys to get to know her. Let's get started. Well, I had found you, I follow you on Instagram and you're, you obviously work with this population that I am always talking to a little bit about this podcast, uh, the expecting aerialist. So it's exactly that it's a motherhood, pregnancy, postpartum talk, um, in this very niche group of women, which is crazy to me when you, when I saw that, I was just like, I'm a climber. I climbed pregnancy. Like it's still just these fringe sports of like, okay, what can we do? Yeah. And it's, uh, you know, my dad used to always say, he's like, how do you just have so much to talk about in this one thing? I was like, oh my God, it's endless. It's endless because, uh, this group of women, it, it's, I'm, I'm sure, you know, I saw on your website that you do, uh, bouldering and belay climbing. Um, and it's a lifestyle for the people mm-hmm. who do it. It's like, it's like, they, it's part of me. Yeah. They, people, the people that I teach, they, they work so they can do their hobby, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of times. So this population, um, you know, there's, there's only anecdotal evidence. Uh, and so we share our stories so that we can 
know more and be more confident in our choices prenatal postpartum and your business is called uh core exercises exercise solutions Mm -hmm. how long have you been up and running i have been up and running for eight years Yes. Okay. I think it is. That sounds, I I was expecting for you to say something like that because I started my online business about four years ago and I still have so long to go. Like it takes, it takes like a decade actually. It is is so much work. So much work. Do you feel like you're established now? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I do. I do. I'm established. I have a great team. Um, I don't have to do everything, which is awesome. Amazing. And, um, okay. So Sarah, if you will introduce yourself, talk about your background, um, a little bit about where you live, your family and how you started your business. Well, I started as a physical therapist, um, almost 20 years ago, I started out as a personal trainer first and did not have any interest in women's health at all. I was mostly orthopedics, sports oriented, loved athletics. And then I had babies and had my own issues that were not easily resolved. And I realized, okay, there is a much greater need in this area for high level exercising women. Because I felt like there was a lot of advice out there and solutions for people who wanted to be maybe walkers you know, um, low level exercise. But when we got into extremely high level exercise, the, the advice was fairly sparse. Oh yeah. Very, very sparse. Still, still kind of sparse actually. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Um, Sarah, you have, you have two kids. I have two kids. Mm -hmm. Um, anything that stands out from the pregnancies or the postpartum, uh, your, your issues, any, any hard, hard spots? Sure. I'm happy to share. I had two completely different pregnancies. Uh, my first pregnancy, I was put on modified bed rest around 19 weeks and told, do not do anything that brings on contractions. Cause I had progressive labor at 19 weeks. And, um, <laughs> so that was not fun. I, I think it was stress related. My husband lost his job when I was three months pregnant. And so it was right at that point where we're just getting ready to share the news with the world and he lost his job and it was like, okay, well, uh, we're going to have to move because he has a job where he could not find another job in the state we lived in. I owned my own physical therapy practice. So I was going to have to sell my practice. Like it was just this huge, (laughs) he had our health insurance. So it was so stressful and, and he had a lot of trouble finding another job. And so we were just unsure of what we were going to do. Like, would we need to proactively move to another state so he could have a local address on the application to be able to get a job because nobody wants to hire a scientist from South Carolina, which he ended up at Moderna. So it worked out well, but that was like two states later. Wait, you moved twice? Oh yeah, we moved twice. And luckily, I remember when he came home from uh, the second time. These are these. He was always worked for very small biotech companies. The first company was just a brand new startup, and he was actually the first hire. So I mean, when you're in, and it got bought out, so it wasn't a bad reason he got laid off. It was just it happens, and it's small biotech. And when you live somewhere like Boston or San Diego or San Francisco, you just walk across the street and get another job. But when you live in South Carolina, in Charleston, there is no other 
there was no other jobs. So it was, uh, it turned into quite a stressful time. So when he lost his job the second time due to a similar, they just decided to close the lab. So they just closed the entire facility. We were in Virginia Tech area and Virginia, Blacksburg, Virginia, and which was another small town. <laughs> so we're like, okay, we learned our lesson. And it was a little less stressful when he came home and I was like, well, at least I'm not pregnant. Cause at that point we were thinking about having a second, but we hadn't quite started trying yet. And I was like, that was amazing. Cause we were, <laughs> we were right there. Uh, so yeah, so it ended up working out. Um, we ended up moving, which is what pushed me online because I had to start a brand new practice everywhere we moved. And then I realized, you know what? I need an online presence. So I don't have to start from scratch every time. And so I think a lot of good can come from some adversity in our lives. And so what was really stressful um, turned out to be pretty great. I feel like for the push I needed to move forward professionally, Uh, but back to the pregnancy. So I think it was just a tremendous amounts of stress I was feeling at the time uh, led to uh, premature labor and um, me getting put on modified bed rest. <laughs> and then the second pregnancy, um, she was, I, it was, it was great. My midwife was like, do whatever you want. I climbed until two weeks before delivery. I was just having, I started having pubic symphysis pain when I pulled hard climbing with my feet, you know, cause you put you like you're climbing, you put your foot way out and then pull your body weight on it and stuff like that. You know, it's the moves get a little, um, intense. And so my body was just saying, okay, we're, this is enough of this for where you're at right now. Cause I tend to be a, a hypermobile person. And so then you throw in pregnancy on top of that. And then it was, I, I had reached a point where I think I was 36 weeks pregnant when I quit climbing, um, which was great. It was fine. It was, it was a good point to take a break. And then I had, I had him at, uh, right at, I was just 39 weeks. So it was, uh, and he was already over eight pounds at 39 weeks. So it was time to be, time to be done. And did you have, did you experience any, because I know a lot of your programs, uh, online or pelvic floor. Did you have any of your own pelvic yes. floor stuff? So, yes. So after my first child, I had issues with leaking postpartum. Um, I had a very, um, not very, but a relatively long pushing phase because apparently I have big headed babies. I joke that I hope they have their father's brain so that they get full rides to really good colleges. Because <laughs> 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 I've got a tiny head. I'm like, where can these children come from? Uh, and so, so I had a long pushing phase, which is I think part of what um, d- ended up, you know, giving me some leaking issues after my first. And then after my second, I, he had his hand stuck up by his head head and then also the 98th percentile and the midwife was kind of freaking out they're like i don't know what to do it was almost one of those emergency situations because like his little fist was stuck up there and his chin wasn't tucked his head was up and in a weird position um and it ended up working out fine i ended up getting him out and didn't have to have any emergency uh, assistance but I did end up with some tearing, which then contributed to uh, pelvic organ prolapse. So I have dealt with two prolapses um, from the second delivery, which I have fully healed, which took me about five years to get to a point of complete healing with this. Wow. So they have the two names for it is something site and something it's like... <sighs> 
What are the two names for the your the urinary and then the rectal? So prolapse? I had a, a small cystocele and a grade two plus yeah, rectal. Yeah, yeah. Okay, can you? Because I know that prolapse is such a thing among my my listeners. We actually, um, and maybe you can confirm this anecdotally. We have a lot of hypertonic pelvic floor in my uh, population. Oh, yeah. For sure. And you need, you know, to some degree, I feel like athletes in general are going to sit with, I mean, my bicep sits with higher tone, you know? I mean, it's, right. it's, to some degree, we're going to sit with higher tone in most areas of our body because we're asking more out of our muscles. So, I mean, I, I you know, there's, there's that tipping point, right? Of like, there's too much tone here. Yeah. And then we need to sort through that. But I think it's extremely common to have higher tone. Yeah. And kind of chronic pelvic floor problems, even before I had my baby, in my case, Mm -hmm. um, in in aerial, we have a movement that you guys might not use all the time. I know that my brother does climbing and he does like, you know, the Spider-Man thing where he's completely almost upside down and it looks so effortless for us we're doing a lot of hands-on and then inverting with our legs free and so i pole vaulted in college just to put that out there um oh so you did I'm okay awesome with, i'm familiar with holding something and inverting yeah okay yeah i I'm, I'm sure and you also probably work with plenty of people so who have this so it's like there's so the pelvic floor is just such a the pelvis is such mm-hmm. a, one of our tools and um so I've heard of aerialists who have a hypertonic pelvic floor, have a vaginal birth, completely just stop, blow stop. all the wiring stop. and then end up with prolapse. Mm-hmm. You need to say hi to Sarah. All right, let's say hi. She just turned three. Wait, you're getting shy now? Hi. Say hi. Oh my goodness. Okay, well, can I keep on recording? <laughs> um you know, blow out all their wiring, end up with organ prolapse. And then, and then the opposite where they end up after their pregnancy with, you know, ridiculously painful sex and it doesn't go away for a really long time. So our lats create, and and all of our upper body muscles create tremendous amounts of pressure. So when you're thinking about, think about trying to invert yourself. So imagine you're kind of squeezing at the top to generate this force to be able to lever your body up. And so you've got this compressive effect because we we think contract, we think compress, right? And so you've got this just extreme compressive effect happening. And so you've got to be able to manage that compressive effect from the upper body. And so if you don't have awareness for pressure management, you don't have great breathing strategies in place, you don't have a responsive pelvic floor to that pressure in a way where it's strong enough to handle it, then you're going to end up with tightness because that pressure is going down, which is then eliciting elevator ani reflex where it's tightening. So then you're going to end up with that chronic tension. But also if it's too much tension, too much pressure down for what your pelvic floor strength can handle, then you're going to end up with pelvic organ prolapse because then you're forcing your organs essentially out from that excessive pressure. So the basically the name of the game is decrease the pressure. So learn how to contract your upper body muscles in a way where you do not generate a lot of force down, which can be done. It's just, you've got to be stronger um, essentially is what it comes down to. So 
it's, it's the difference between, I feel like maxing out for something versus doing something under control. And so a lot of our, we're going into kind of newer learning, newer inverted moves, um, pushing those boundaries of something that might be a little bit hard. Then we're going to need to recruit more. And we might be a little bit more on the borderline of, of um, exceeding our comfortable level of strength, which in an environment where let's say we're having a simple movement, like if I'm going to max out with a bicep curl, right? I can do that and not put a ton of pressure down. But when you're doing a full body movement, it's really hard to max out um, and not use a bearing down strategy if you've never thought about it before. So we come at it from a few angles. One, understanding what happens when you contract your upper body muscles with that degree of force to be able to go into an inverted position. And then two, so learning to manage that pressure. Uh, And then two, making sure your lower abs are strong enough to assist your pelvic floor. And so I feel like we, especially postpartum, it takes a while to get our abs back to something that can handle some of that force and assist our pelvic floor. And so I, I think that that's just, you know, a few important components to think about to layer on. And obviously then good breathing is going to help with that pressure management. When you're talking about managing that pressure, like let's just say I'm going into an inversion. Is it, is it just that I'm going to try to feel like try to imagine my legs and my pelvic floor being lighter? Am I trying to take the force into my upper body mindfully instead? Yes, I like that. I like that. And I also like to think scoop your lower abs. So if I think kind of about that exit, like an act of like exhaling and kind of scooping lower abs and kind of gathering. So we're sending more of that pressure back into the upper body. um, Then I think that can be one way to kind of put a little visual with it. Like if your lower abs can be a window into what's happening with your pelvic floor. So if you videotape yourself doing some of your aerial movement and you see a lot of lower, lower ab bulging and pooching, then you're probably putting a lot of pressure down on your pelvic floor. Sarah, can you, because I was, I was like uh, looking at your website. It's amazing. I'll put some links to it in the show notes. If you can kind of um, talk about your approach generally, I know I just dived into the inversions and and pelvic floor. It's really cool. I I like inversions. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's just like such a thing for us. Um, Can you talk about your approach and how it how it differs from you know if you just get a PT from your primary care provider? Blah blah blah. Yeah. Well, I think sometimes you can get a great PT from your primary care provider. So I don't want to knock that. And there's also OTs that do public health. So I feel like, but it's just like any other profession, right? It can be hit or miss. And a lot of, a lot of times it's hard to coach something you haven't experienced because you don't know the intensity involved, but somebody who's really good can coach anything. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. But if you just don't have a lot of experience with coaching different levels of athletes and people, then they might struggle a little bit to figure out the intensity level and the progression level that needs to be brought to the table to be able to get that person to where they need to be. Yeah, that makes total sense. So when you have a woman coming in, let's say, for example, hypertonic pelvic floor, uh, postpartum, you know, I don't know, six months. What, what are your first, what are your first thoughts? 
Well, I am going to one, figure out what she wants, <laughs> what her goal is, because that changes so much. Um, and then I'm going to watch her move. Okay. And that movement assessment is going to be based on her current ability level. So I'm going to probably watch her do some of the things that she's currently doing. Because so I always get that question of what will you assess? And I'm like, well, is the person a runner? Are they brand new postpartum? Are they, you know, so the sport really varies. If it's a climber, I want to see them do a pull up, you know? And so maybe for an aerial artist, I'd want to see them do a pull up as well. I want to see their body move, maybe, um, you know, like toes to the bar or something like that. I want to see how they're handling a higher load based on what they're currently doing. So I don't want to give somebody tests that are way outside where they're currently at. I mean, that would, that wouldn't be practical and might not even be bad. And I also don't want to give somebody tests that are too low for where they're at, because I, I see people can, especially when you look at instructors and higher level athletes, they really hold it together well when things are a little low level. And then you start pushing that envelope yeah. a little bit and you're like, all right, stuff's starting to fall apart now. I'm starting to see some things. And then I just look for those things that kind of jump out at me. Okay. Um, and you have an online business, but are you able to re- remotely treat people or is that just in person? So, yeah. So basically as a physical therapist, you can't treat outside of state lines. Okay. Right. So I am also a personal trainer. And so it gets a little bit gray with that. Um, but most of my current business is focused on continuing education. Right. Okay. Right. So somebody like me, who's a, who's a CPT mm-hmm. comes to you to get extra on top of education of what I already have. And then I'm able to be in the gym with my people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't go to the muggle gym anymore. It bores me. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't have any, I don't have any, uh, personal training clients right now because I just can't stand the gym environment. I just kind of stopped it a I while ago. I haven't been in a gym in a very long, but I've been to the climbing gym like three times a week, but I've never been in a regular gym in a very long time either. I know. I I was um, also, my first training was as a Pilates instructor. And so I'd be in a Pilates boutique type of environment a lot. And that's a completely different world too. Yeah. I mean, you're going like opposite from aerial stuff. And I mean, except for like the the prettiness of the movement, I feel like that's something they have in common. But as far as like upper body strength, I know. it's just night and day. Yeah. And also Pilates, I, I was like in it. Right. And then I started aerial training and then I realized I have no upper body strength. Oh yeah. And I was like, how, how a lot of Pilates instructors. And it's like the, the act of moving your whole body with your arms. It's just not something that usually occurs in Pilates. Let's see. What would you, if you have any advice, let, let's go to the prenatal stage. Um, Do you have any advice for women who are planning to become pregnant? What can we do to prep ourselves for having a healthy pelvic floor, um, healthy body throughout, if you have any like general advice for that. Sure. I mean, I think a lot can be done during pregnancy, but I mean, there is something to be said for if you want to have a very active pregnancy, then being very active prior to pregnancy. I mean, I don't think that the keep doing what you're doing is good advice. Either way, because it's people can start exercising safely as well as there's some exercise people need to quit doing. 
So I don't think that is necessarily the best advice, but I do think going into pregnancy, being super fit is not a bad idea if you want to have a really fit, active pregnancy. And then what are, knowing that you might have a tight pelvic floor going into it, like my my population what are what are things to keep in mind to i mean i i do pelvic floor all the time even now because the health of it pregnancy magnifies things if you occasionally have piriformis pain with a car trip you're going to have it very frequently during pregnancy if you have pelvic floor tension occasionally prior to pregnancy you're probably going to have it much more during pregnancy. So I feel like pregnancy is that time where the hypermobility comes into play and little things where our body was kind of trying to hold us together then gets magnified. And so I tend to see, you know, patterns of asymmetry and things like that that might cause maybe a little bit of neck pain. Then suddenly when somebody's pregnant, it it magnifies itself. Um, And so that goes hand in hand with the pelvic floor. So if you have a tendency toward a little pelvic floor tension, then you're probably going to have more when you're pregnant. So getting signs that you have pelvic floor tension. One, you can have pain and discomfort. So pain with insertion, penetration, things like that. You can have deep pain from that obturator internus, which um, might feel pain with deeper penetration, uh, might feel like a deep butt or hip pain that you just can't quite get to. Um, But for those primary pelvic floor muscles, they're going to restrict breathing. So our pelvic floor gives with our diaphragm. So if you will, what what I'll do is help people put their fingers right on their pubic bone. So right on those lower abs. And I want you to give me a really big inhale down. So trying to create, get that inhale to move all the way down into your pelvic floor, feeling your pelvic floor kind of expand or blossom or lengthen, but without pushing it. So no bracing with your upper abs, trying to force that inhale down. And so generally, somebody who has a tendency toward pelvic floor tension, they'll be like, oh, no, my inhale stopped in my belly button, felt like it hit a brick wall. I got none of that like gentle pelvic floor length blossoming you were talking about. And somebody who has a tendency toward hypomobility, so not tension, but the opposite, they're going to be like, well, I felt like my pelvic floor was just going to fall out on the floor. Like it was just so much. Everything just opened. And you're like, okay, we know we're going to be starting a different baseline with kind of those two extremes. But somebody who has pelvic floor tension but doesn't have any pain or anything like that, they might notice it with the stopping of their breath. I also notice people that have increased pelvic floor tension tend to have um, more belly expansion sometimes at their belly button for their inhale. And so because we're not getting that natural pelvic floor give, the pressure has to go somewhere, right? So I tend to see maybe a little bit more of an increased dasis recti risk with pelvic floor tension because they're not getting that natural give down to the pelvic floor. So then they have more of a give out to the front. Uh, I love that you brought up diastasis recti. So um, do you have any thoughts on prenatal and then postpartum? Um, Obviously general, because I know you work with people specifically in their bodies, but um, you know, this, this, uh, this population always wants to hear about what can I do to help lessen the potential diastasis recti. And I love that question. And I've worked with enough women now. There's not research on this. 
I love research, but there's just not research on this. Uh, but I've worked with enough women now with subsequent pregnancies. So like they had a really dad, bad diastasis with their first or second. And then I've helped them with subsequent pregnancies where the diastasis has not been as severe and has healed um, much more quickly postpartum. And so I feel like, okay, we're getting a handle on this based on case studies, personal case studies from working with people. But one thing that I've noticed is a couple of things. One, pushing too hard, too long, as far as creating distortion in the linea alba. So I'll tend to see more severe diastasis recti with maybe some of my CrossFit athletes, maybe aerial artists who, um, don't back off early enough and aren't mindful of what's happening at their linea alba. So the only advice or the best advice I can offer my athletes is to monitor what's happening at your midline. And when you start to see excessive doming out, so you've got your nice round belly and then you'll see this like excessive bulging out from that midline. And that is when I will back off that exercise. So it will be very exercise specific. So there'll be one exercise that might cause a bulging and then 10 exercises that won't. So there's plenty to do to stay really active. But what we want to notice is what is causing that bulging. So for me personally, at around for the, with my second, at around seven months postpartum, because I had this dream of doing pull-ups the entire pregnancy. I was like, then I'm going to be doing some really awesome way to pull ups by the end because I gained like 45 pounds with my second. And so <laughs> I was like going to be super strong. But at seven months, I started to notice I took a video of myself doing pull ups with either a tight shirt or sports bra on. And I noticed that I got doming out of my midline of starting around seven months. So I quit doing non assisted pull ups at seven months postpartum to be able to contain that doming. I can still do push ups without any getting any doming. So front loading on the ground wasn't a problem for me. It was the extreme pressure of pull-ups, which is so interesting. And that's one of the things that because I want to be really active and was really active and like to push those boundaries and test everything, it makes me really think about what I need to test and look at in the women that I work with too and just how variable things can be for each of us individually. So you might have somebody who can't do a push-up but we'll be able to do a pull-up sign. And it's all about how we have uniquely adapted to deal with pressure. And so the only advice that I can give someone for this is you've got to monitor your own body and you've got to learn to check, maybe partner with somebody uh, that you're working with or set up that video camera and look for that doming. And when you start to notice excessive doming out from your midline, then it's time to back off. Yeah, I love that because both the things that you mentioned, uh, just keep on doing what you're doing, quote unquote. And then yeah. also, this is a no-no. This is a no-no. Just baseline for everybody. Yeah, it's ridiculous. It's not <laughs> We're also different with the muscles we've developed and how we learn to manage pressure and our technique. I mean, if you've got great technique, sometimes you can get away with doing a whole lot without using tons of excessive strain. Yeah, depending on who you are. And um, I just I just feel like, uh, especially for this population, I think we love to hear it because it's what we want to hear, that like you are so individual. There's no rules, We ha but the rule is you got to figure out yourself. Yeah, which um, is work. You know, it and is that's work. What, when it comes to prolapse and comes to healing prolapse, people are like, well, what do I do? And I'm like, we have to figure that out because it's going to be unique to you. And there's so many different things to work on and try, which is great on one hand, because 
I can throw so much at somebody as far as like, let's try this and then let's work on this and then let's see where this leads us. And then we can go down all these rabbit holes, which gives you so much potential for healing. But on the other hand, it can be overwhelming and daunting because you're like, no, I just want the five exercises that are going to work. And I'm like, well, (laughs) if only the human body works that way. (laughs) Yeah, there's no, um, well, I broke my leg and ankle 10 years ago And what I found is for something like that, and I'm not saying this for everybody, but it was pretty cut and dry. Like my PT was like, you do these like 10 exercises, however many times. And it felt more formulaic Mm -hmm. because it's bone. Well, and when you look at like you have a total knee replacement or total hip replacement, you know, like here are your set exercises based on what's been cut through and you know, years and years of research. And there's, so we do have set protocols for things, uh, but there is not one for pelvic organ prolapse or DASA's recti at this point in time. Yeah. It's, it seems like it's very, um, and which is why, like, if you Google it, it's like, there's a million different answers. And yeah. And you think about the area of the body it's in too. I mean, it's in a very, just, just part of our core system is just very, general as far as the influence above and below like if you sprain your ankle you've got less influence yeah yeah it's a little uh, the variables aren't necessarily there i'll tell you what has been my struggle postpartum and she's three years old is that i struggle with ibs and SIBO, which is a small Mm -hmm. intestinal bacteria overgrowth and so as my abs and my ta i'm trying i'm doing all the exercises i'm in pt i'm trying to like heal I'm, I'm having these bloating like episodes. And so it's going against the training because it's basically going out to like, you know, sometimes I would look three months pregnant. And so that's been my struggle to get my TA to like come back on because every t- single time I go through a bloating episode, it's like, oh, it, it, yeah, oh, no, it does. we're not doing that anymore. Okay. <laughs> you know, I went through, I also went through a phase of SIBO and it is amazing what stress does to our body. And, you know, I know this is going to sound silly and you're going to hate me for saying this, but what helped me so much was chewing my food, (laughs) slowing down and just refusing to get up. I was like, no, three-year-old, you can get your own milk out of the fridge. I am sitting through dinner. (laughs) Well, it's funny because I learned to do that as a child to eat slower because my IBS has been around a lot longer Mm -hmm. than the SIBO. And the IBS, I have IBS D. So it's just like everything yeah, just goes you through have learned to, You have learned to chew. Yes. Whereas I never learned that. And I inhaled food and got up six times while kids were young because they always needed something. Yeah. I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> My stomach doesn't like this. Yeah. Yeah. So like I've been going through it, trying to treat it. And it's been such a struggle because I'm like, why do I look still three months pregnant? It's because yeah. my TA hasn't had the like the consistent chance to like do one thing it's been like and the one thing too i've noticed with the whole postpartum like trying to get the abs back to the resting tone and length that they were pre-pregnancy just takes forever and it takes that consistent overload and then you've got to recognize that if you work your abs later that night they're going to look really bloated because they're going to be tired 
So this is one thing I've always noticed. If somebody does a really hard workout, usually I'll, I'll prepare my women that I'm helping with their diastasis. I'm like, okay, we did a hard ab workout today. Prepare to look horrible tonight. So it's like, do not ever work out the night before you're going out to a fancy dinner and you want to put on a dress or something, you know? So I just think that's something to keep in mind that whenever we work a muscle like that, we're going to have fatigue after, and you're just not really going to notice it with your bicep or your quad, but you really notice it with your abs, especially postpartum. Well, that's an amazing point because I feel like, and I'm doing the same thing. I'm like, how long does it take to get my like, (laughs) because if I like, I'm in the mirror and I'm standing profile to the mirror and I draw everything incorrectly, I look pretty baby. Mm Mm-hmm. But you can't stand like that forever. <laughs> like, like. So let me throw one more thing in the mix. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Okay. This goes back to this whole cortisol thing. I've been on this whole stress kick for the last years because I'm realizing it's stress is horrible. But when we think about estrogen and having low estrogen postpartum, estrogen stores, uh, you can store estrogen in belly fat. So during our postpartum time period, one, when we're stressed out, two, when our hormones are, you know, kind of out of whack and our body is needing estrogen, we will store more belly fat. So that's just something to keep in mind that that whole giving ourselves grace to get through that postpartum time period, which, you know, can be, I feel like can be years, um, depending on how long it takes our hormones to come back and how long our stress levels from small children take. And so if we're releasing a lot of cortisol, that's going to mess with our hormones. I figured out that through testing that my estrogen was partly low because my zinc was low and you apparently need zinc to bind with estrogen. And my zinc was low because my stress levels were high because apparently cortisol was eating up my zinc. And so it was just this fascinating kind of learning process that I went through um, with some of the stuff, but getting stress levels under control helps a lot with be, having a flatter stomach. Which so is, is, is that as easy as, did you, did you just like go to your local target and get some zinc supplements to help with that? Well, so yeah, so not target. Um, I bought better supplements than what they sell at target, but um, so like making sure they're third party tested and all that stuff. But um, yes, I, I had to start taking zinc, which also helps with my immune system because I caught every cold that was coming in from daycare. <laughs> um, but so yeah, increasing increasing zinc, but then also needing to decrease stress, which if you're a high intensity person, which most of the people I feel like that we're talking to here are, because who goes after sports like this? Yeah. You know? Oh like, yeah. You've got to have that level of like, I'm going to go after something to want to be that high off the ground upside down. And so I feel like we tend to sit a little bit on the higher stress pushing side, you know, because need to get that that adrenaline rush with our sports. And uh, so I think we're just prone to overdoing and keeping that in check. It's really hard. We just had a show at my studio. The word is obsessed that you're looking for. I think. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like there, people are obsessed with their sport. Okay, obviously you're not giving medical advice, but for somebody like me who fits all those columns, like a little higher stress, <laughs> IBS, uh, like my resting tone is not what it should be. Like, like should I go just get a zinc supplement and see what happens? Type of thing? No, I'm not. I do not think taking supplements without testing first is a very good idea. Okay, because you might take 
something that's high, which could be very bad. Or also you might find out like your ferritin levels are extremely low and you're feeling what you're feeling because you need more iron or maybe your B12 is bottomed out. So I, I just, I highly recommend going, finding a really good doctor to work with. And getting a hormone, hormone it test. It must test it. Yeah. Get it tested. Oh, okay. You're like, your vitamin D, your B vitamins, your ferritin levels, just get them all tested. And that way you have your baseline and you know kind of where you're at, which I know it's it's also hard to get moms to kind of spend money on themselves. Yeah, and yeah. Also go do things. So that's, that's a whole nother thing. Um, and so, but I, I recommend when you've got the more of the dopamine, adrenaline, uh, excitatory neurotransmitter personalities like we do <laughs> that tend to go after these high intensity sports. I really recommend scheduling your stops. So one thing that I've tried to do is like I come home from a climbing session and I have an infrared blanket, it's, which is really nice in the winter when it's cold. Um, but I will get in this little, it's like an infrared sauna blanket. So it's fraction of the cost of an infrared sauna i think it was like two hundred dollars and i will get in this infrared sauna blanket and just lie there and meditate for 20 minutes to bring myself back down so when we can release serotonin and gaba post exercise we start healing um, we start recovering from the exercise but when we kind of stay ramped up we don't um, and so i've just been experimenting with how i can bring myself back down and put in those kind of breaks that other people naturally have, like kind of lower energy people, people who can sit and relax well. Um, they naturally have more breaks than we do. And I, I know we got totally off topic here, but hopefully this is helpful to somebody listening. But Wait, I'll so you're saying that being up here second. all the time is not that great? It's not good. <laughs> it's not healthy. It's not healthy. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god there's so many moms i know they're like i hit the floor in the morning and then i pass out at night like that exactly. is so common it took me to 40 to figure it out but dang it i'm i feel like i'm kind of getting on top of it now <laughs> oh my god i'm gonna i'm gonna run out and uh and get a primary care uh appointments scheduled for the next couple I mean Christmas is coming so maybe we'll skip <laughs> we'll skip the, the next couple months but because I mean, look, I know that I look fine, but I want to look, you know, I work out like five days a week. Like, like but cortisol, your body can't tell the difference between your exercise cortisol that you're releasing and your stress cortisol that you're releasing. Oh. And when you, yeah, to, your body doesn't know. Your body doesn't know, hey, this is fun cortisol versus oh, this is really stressful cortisol and I just need a break from my child or my family or the dishes or whatever. <laughs> we need those breaks. And so our body just cannot tell. It's just all cortisol. So if you want to balance out, if you want more exercise cortisol levels, then you've got to bring down the other cortisol levels in your life. And because think about that cortisol is giving you belly fat. If you're thinking about that, what you're concerned about right now with wanting your abs to look like they did postpartum. And so all of that kind of plays a role into it. So you can, the other thing that I'm going to throw out there is, oh, what's the word? Myostatin? Yes. I think I'm right on that. I might be pronouncing it wrong. My, yeah. My, yeah. I think it's myostatin. So cortisol releases myostatin, which inhibits muscle growth. So you might be doing a really hard workout and not getting results, but only because your body. So myostatin, if I'm saying that correctly, I'm going to have to look it up and get off. <laughs> but um, basically, it's a muscle inhibitory 
um, because it's keeping the amino acid levels in your blood higher because you're you're ready to run away from the tiger essentially oh like fight or flight mode yeah so it keeps you in fight or flight mode because it's like no you can't store and build muscle you can't produce the gains and recover from all this ab work and get hypertrophy of your abs which is what you want you want increased ab tone um, and strength and you're not getting it if your cortisol levels are high because your body's saying hey we are stressed out we are keeping ourselves in this fight or flight mode so we need to keep all of these amino acids mobilized and ready to go so then you can't actually rebuild and i I probably murdered that a little bit because i'm a physical therapist (laughs) but but anyway the gist of it is is that i really think that we get so picky on it and I get picky on exercise and I want people doing the right things. And I do think there's the right things, but I think at some point we need to take a step back and look at what else is going on here because you can have somebody doing all the right exercises, but if they're not managing the stress in their life, well, they're not going to see any benefit from it. Oh my God. I love this perspective because you can imagine we've talked about these topics a lot, but I really feel like you brought something fresh to it. Yay. Well, good. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm going to like put what you said into action in my life because I am vain and I will admit it. I mean, aren't we all? (laughs) I think it's just, it's a little bit like the, you know, you watch the birds in the spring and they get their beautiful little plumage and they go into their breeding season. Like, I don't know. It's, it's, it's part of nature. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, it's funny because we just had our show this weekend and all the teachers were done dressed up. I was like, oh, we're really in shape. I never think mm-hmm. of that of myself. It's weird. Mm. This dysmorphia. It's dysmorphia. We're in the mirror all the time. You guys, you climbers don't have mirrors in your studios. Yeah, I know. I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. Because so I look in the mirror and I'm like, oh my gosh, my back is so ripped. <laughs> I never see these muscles. Where are they hiding? <laughs> no, I never. I, you know, it's, it's, it's a dancer thing too, to have that dysmorphia, to look and not see what other people see. So, um, Sarah, I really appreciate you. It worked out really well. So I don't know when I sent that email to you, but it worked out because I feel like this, this, uh, this topic is ripe for my audience. The last couple of weeks, I've just had a lot of, uh, women right, right about to pop a baby out. Like, a lot of times I'll have those and then not necessarily the practitioners. And this is, so it's a nice balance. Nice. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. This was really fun. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll put all of your info in the show notes, especially if there's any trainers out there who want to um, educate themselves in this in this particular uh, specificity. And uh, yeah, it was great to have you. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks so much to Dr. Sarah for being here today, carving out the time and talking to us all about our sports specific stuff. So helpful. And if you're in the market for a beginner to intermediate silks course, go to the show notes, Black Friday sale, uh, rarely, rarely slash the price, but you've got you got two days to get in on that and become my virtual student. Roll it out class is happening on Sundays, 7 p.m. Pacific time. And you can take the class as many times as you want with the recording on a student portal if you uh, are a student of mine. So, all right, guys. uh, Thank you so much to Asa Watkins, sound engineer. And if you would honor me with a five-star rating and a review, just take out your Apple. um, Just open that up, the Apple Podcast app, and leave me a review. It helps so much. I'll highlight you on my website. Love you forever. I appreciate you. And if you just love hearing this, hey, hold on. 
Bean, can you not sing while I'm doing this or come over here and talk to the listeners? You want to come talk to the listeners? So um, if you want to listen to the sound of my voice even more, Greener Grass, a podcast is my podcast with Kelly McVeigh. And it's a much broader topic. So if you want to just be surprised every week or just um, hear some girl talk, it's the place to be. All right, guys. Hope you're having a wonderful week. Enjoy your Thanksgiving. Safe travels over and out. This is the Expected Realistic Podcast. Oh, 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 oh,